If you're new here, my name is Jamie, one of the pastors here, and happiest of Mother's Days to all of our mothers here. We're working through the Gospel of Luke, and so if you have a Bible with you, please uh, go to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to grab one from the pew in front of you. And if you're not super familiar with the Bible, Luke chapter 12 is where we'll be, and that will be found on page 872 of the Black Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, please go ahead and take that one home with you. That is this congregation's gift to you. Here at Pickle Baptist, we believe that there is one God who is self-existing, who is to be worshipped, who is eternal, who is to be adored and obeyed. We believe that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, that he has eternally existed in three persons as Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and that all that God does, he does for his own glory, that he is supremely glorious and joyful in the fellowship of the Godhead as he delights in his own perfections. And so it is to that God that we now turn in prayer. And so if you would join with me as we pray. Father, we turn to you now and we ask that you would be with us as we read your text, as we read this word, and that you would speak to us through it, and that you would sustain us, give us understanding about these things. Holy Spirit, please teach us. And please remove from us all the distractions that would keep us from understanding this word. I pray the enemy would have no effect in snatching away the seed of your word, but that your word would find good soil in our hearts and it would take root downward, it would bear fruit upward to the glory and praise of Almighty God. Praise in Jesus' name and Pickle Baptist said amen. Well, we're going to be reading from verse 49 all the way down to the rest of chapter 12, Luke 12, 49 and following. As I said, we work through books of the Bible a little bit at a time, and this is probably not a typical text for Mother's Day, but I make no apologies about that. It's a good and necessary text. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 49. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it will already kindle. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against mother, or son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a, crowd, a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. So it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, they'll be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? 
As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penalty. Well, there had been tremors for many days. Thousands of Roman residents and vacationers had felt small earthquakes rumbling through their resort town, which sat at the base of the stunning Mount Vesuvius. Their city had nearly completed a 16-year-long repair project since an earthquake had racked the city in 63 AD. That earthquake turned out to be a warning shot of what was to come. August 24th, 79 AD was like any other August day in Pompeii. Nearly perfect weather, mid to high 70s with a nice breeze. And then around midday, an explosion in the center of Vesuvius blasted a giant mushroom cloud of hot ash and pumice 10 miles into the stratosphere. The plume rose high and blocked out the sun over the entire region. Residents in Pompeii and in the surrounding towns had close to 12 hours to evacuate. And many did. But thousands stayed. The giant column collapsed under its own weight and generated something called a pyroclastic flow, a gray bulbous cloud of superheated gas and ash and debris which raced down the slope of the volcano at around 60 miles an hour. The flow quickly overwhelmed Pompeii surging through her city streets, engulfing everything in its path. Anything combustible burst into flame. Excavators in Pompeii have uncovered hundreds of refugees sheltering in vaulted buildings, clutching jewelry and money. And for two days and for two nights, Vesuvius would continue to erupt, and the entire area would be buried under hot pumice and ash some 20 feet deep. It was tragic. Pompeii had warnings. Vesuvius gave earthquakes. And those earthquakes were followed by years of quiet with a tremor here and there. And this lulled her residents into a false sense of safety. And in the passage before us today, the Lord Jesus Christ warns of a different kind of Vesuvius. Jesus speaks of judgment, which is coming upon all mankind, which is certainly no less devastating than Vesuvius. The Lord warns of a grand courtroom in which the thoughts and deeds of every person will be revealed. And he urges his hearers to settle with their accuser before that day in court. From the passage here, we learn the following. The person and work of Jesus Christ is so infinitely glorious that he divides humanity and time 
in two. So settle your accounts with God before your day in court. The person and work of Jesus Christ is so infinitely glorious that he divides humanity, even time, into two. And so settle your accounts with God through Jesus. Three points to draw out of the passage before us. The first is this, that we must recognize the supremacy of Christ. We must recognize the supremacy of Christ, verses 49 to 53. Second, that we must reckon with the significance of Christ. We must reckon with the significance of Christ, which we'll see in verses 54 to 56. And then finally, we must reconcile with God through Christ in verses 57 to 59. So recognize the supremacy of Christ. Reckon with the significance of Christ. And reconcile with God through Christ. So let's have a closer look again at verses 49 to 53. And may the Lord give us grace as we seek to recognize the supremacy of Christ. Let's read 49 to 53 one more time. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Happy Mother's Day. Glad you're here. Well, it seems to me that a lot of Christians and non-Christians, to be sure, think of Jesus Christ wrongly. Um, They think of him as this ultra-agreeable, congenial fellow with soft hands and feathered hair and an always smile on his face. Now, our Lord was gentle, that is true, but he was not fragile. Gentleness is not feebleness, but strength under control. And so many folks have been, uh, well, catechized by foolish preachers who cherry-pick the parts of Jesus that they believe are most appealing to modern sensibilities. And this has, to our great detriment, left our churches seriously anemic in their view of the Savior. For we are quick to brush past the Lord's warnings like, I came to set fire to the earth. And so many of us, have been lulled into a false sense of safety. We've been like vacationers in Pompeii. We've fallen asleep next to a monster. A mountain of unrepentant sin is about to erupt and the fire of God's judgment to rain down upon us. And so I will make no excuses for the Lord's heavy and even divisive words, even if it is Mother's Day 2023. An eruption of judgment is either coming or it is not. And it is. And so a warning like this one 
is not unloving, but the opposite. It's the most loving. And so Jesus says, verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Well, John the Baptist has said just as much already, hasn't he, in chapter 3? The last of the Old Testament prophets foretold this about Messiah. John said his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Six of the seven times the word fire appears in Luke's gospel, it refers to judgment. And Jesus explains in verse 50 what he means in verse 49. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. At the end of chapter 9 of Luke, Luke told us that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. And with every passing day of Messiah's life, he's getting more and more urgent to accomplish the purpose for which he came. To cast fire and to undergo baptism. Now, if you've been reading with us in Luke, you'll remember that Jesus has already been baptized. So how can he say that he's urgent to be baptized? He's already been baptized. There's only one baptism. Well, he's speaking of a future baptism. He's speaking of his cross. His cross is a baptism of sorts. You see, on the cross, Jesus Christ was immersed into the waters of divine judgment. That he willingly cast himself into death. The death that was deserved by sin. Here at Pickle Baptist, we understand the Bible teaches something that theologians have called penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. Although Jesus Christ had no sin himself, he suffered the penalty of sin in the place of sinners. He is the substitute which God put forward in their place. The righteous for the unrighteous, to bring sinners into right relationship with God. And we take this from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, among other places. 1 Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Well, Isaiah put it like this, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Apostle John said, God loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So this is the baptism which puts Jesus in great distress until it is accomplished this is why he set his face to Jerusalem. This is the fire he unleashes on the earth. The word distress signifies the anguish of our Savior's soul, knowing what is awaiting him at Calvary. And this baptism that he speaks of here governs his every moment until it is accomplished. Do you think, he says in verse 51, that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Now, Jesus Christ will bring peace on earth eventually. 
but not now. Not in his present ministry. In his present ministry, his cross ministry, in that ministry he brings, by his own words, division. The supremacy of Christ over all things is both uniting and divisive. The person that Jesus claims himself to be requires full allegiance. He is supreme over all, deserving nothing short of the highest and fullest devotion and delight. This makes Jesus divisive. Because it means that there are two types of people. Those who submit to Messiah's lordship and those who rebel against it. One cannot be neutral. For was it not Jesus himself who said, if you're not with me, then you're against me? Loyalty to Jesus Christ has a tendency to divide even the closest of human relationships. And so the Lord mentions divided households, fathers against sons and mothers against daughters and mother-in-laws against daughter-in-laws. And time would not permit us to tell even a handful of stories of men and women and children coming to faith in Jesus Christ who are thereby removed from their families. It's simply heartbreaking. And for so many Christians, some in this very room, the hardest and heaviest crosses to bear are the ones of severed and strained relationships due to their Christian faith. The Lord is abundantly clear. That loyalty to him surpasses all other loyalties. And those of you who have been forced to walk down the lonely road of rejection from family for the sake of your faith, please listen to your Lord's promise to you in Mark chapter 10. Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So if that's you, if you've lost family, relationships that have been strained or severed because of your Christian faith, friend, look around and behold your hundredfold family. Fathers and mothers you have lost. Brothers and sisters you have lost. Divided from the world, you've been united to Christ. And in being united to Christ, you have received a family that is thicker than blood. One of the strangest things to an unbeliever 
is to hear the way that Christians talk of one another. The way that we call one another brother, sister. But the Bible says that we are members of one another. Members of a spiritual family. And PBC, I want you to know the Lord has knitted my heart to you in a way that I'm sure that I do not understand. The heart of a pastor for his people is something unique. There is a kinship that I feel for you that I can't explain. And if the love that I have for you is even a sliver of the love of our Savior for you, my, oh, my, heaven's going to be something. I've tasted just a little of what the Apostle Paul meant when he called the Philippians, my joy and my crown. Still, as glorious a reality as this hundredfold thicker than blood spiritual family is, it might still feel offensive to you that Jesus divides families. This is a hard saying. Families being split apart because of Jesus Christ. And so we must reckon with the significance of Jesus Christ if we're to understand why division like this can happen. So let's keep reading. Reckon with the significance of Christ. Jesus said also to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, it's going to rain, shower's coming. So it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, well, there'll be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Lord rebukes the crowd for knowing more about the weather than they know about messianic prophecies. We must reckon with who Christ is. And it's not just the crowds in Jesus' day who miss it. We all must see it. We must reckon with the significance of Christ. He is the one thing which cannot be ignored. So I had Google do some calculations for me this week. If you could fit our son into a room the size of this auditorium, it would be 0.000000164% of its original size. The earth would be about the size of a bowling ball. Shrunk to the size of this room, our son would still weigh 72 septillion pounds. That's 72 followed by 23 zero, zeros, pounds. It would still put off 62 quintillion, that's 62 followed by 18 zeros, watts of power every second. So walking into this building today and marveling at anything else, the color of the carpet, while ignoring the 72 septillion pound star that's taking up the whole room, would be ludicrous. But that's what we do 
when we don't reckon with the significance of Christ. He is the thing which cannot be ignored. He is the most significant significance. To think little of him or to think of him little is ludicrous. So listen to what Paul wrote, said to the Athens, to the people of Athens in Acts chapter 17. He said, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus says the crowds in his day were fools for not reading the signs of the times. They could read the earth and sky, but they didn't see what was most significant in their day. The Christ, the Messiah of God, the Savior of the world had come. The creator of heaven and earth had come, had wrapped himself in human flesh. The uncreated creator, the unmoved mover, the infinite and unchangeable one was standing in their midst. And they're thinking about whether to pack an umbrella to the zoo. It was the height of folly. And how different are we really? Or how many of us spend our days thinking of the person of Christ little more than we think about whatever, politics and party favors? Our Savior is an infinite well of unsurpassed delights. Rivers of soul-satisfying pleasures are available to us in Him. Why would anyone give their life to anything less than satisfying their soul in Christ and bringing him glory in all things? Christian, you are a jar of clay that houses a priceless treasure. You have been given the gift of eternal life. You've been filled with the spirit of God. You've been freed from the power of sin. You've been sent by God to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Job number one in your life is to get your soul happy in your Savior and let your joy in him spill over the walls of your life and onto others. The people in Jesus' day didn't recognize the times in which they lived. Do you? Do you recognize the time in which you live? A blindingly bright 72 septillion pound star is in the room. And some of us are glued to the weather channel. What did Jesus tell the crowds in Matthew 13? Many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and didn't see it. Longed to hear what you hear but didn't hear it. And may I remind you what the author of Hebrews told the Christians living in the first century. He said, all these heroes of the faith, all these people, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And if that was true in the first century, how much more true is it today? Do you recognize the significance the present time. Let me help you interpret the present time. God the Son has been raised from the dead. He has ascended into heaven where he sits enthroned, possessing all authority in heaven and on earth. Christ is the King. 
And what the Lord foretold through the prophet Joel has come to pass. He has poured out his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters are prophesying. Young and men are seeing visions. Old men dream dreams. The least among us has received the spirit of the living God. The 72 septillion pound star is not only in this room, but it dwells in every single one of us who are in the Lord. Furthermore, I suspect everyone in this room owns a Bible. A complete translation of God's word in the vernacular. And I wonder if you know how rare that is in church history. Most of us have several copies. So here is an interpretation of the present time. Men and women in this room filled with God the Holy Spirit have been given the glorious privilege of mining the depths of God's word to come out on the other side as Hard-hitting theologians thrilled with the riches of Christ and sent out to make disciples of all nations, men and women. The significance of who Christ is directs and determines the course of our life and how we spend our days. Do you know why you draw breath? It is to learn of and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He gives you life because he intends to receive glory from your life as you spend your life establishing and encouraging Christians, engaging and evangelizing non-Christians. And so, Christian, if you ever find yourself aimless with a sense of a lack of direction, then reckon with the significance of Jesus Christ. Get your soul close to that 72 septillion pound star. Pick up your Bible and read until your cold heart warms in the joy of him. And then tell someone else the beautiful things you see. If your heart is cold, pray and fast. And get in your Bible as the Lord warms it. Whatever season of life you are in. Spend that life proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. Get yourself to a prayer meeting. Get yourself to a Bible study. Maybe start a Bible study in a retirement community around town. Take someone to a picnic in the park to encourage them in the Lord. Maybe mow a fellow member's lawn. Or take weekly tea with a shut-in. Maybe you should start asking your pastors how you could get equipped to serve among the unreached. We say it every week, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. And will he find us doing his will when he does? The people of verse 56 were ignorant of their present time. May the Lord have mercy on us and let us feel the urgency of ours. And whatever you do, for your own sake, whatever you do, don't ignore the significance of the Savior. Don't spend your life like the vacationers at the base of Mount Vesuvius. Settle your accounts with God through Christ before it's too late. Verses 57 to 59 is where we will end. Reconcile with God through Christ. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, Make an effort to settle with him on the way. Lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. 
I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. I wonder if anyone has truly recognized the supremacy of Christ. I wonder if anyone has reckoned with the true significance of Christ. I wonder if anyone has truly lived a life worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Because we've all belittled the glory of Christ. We've all failed to give Christ his due place in our life. We've failed to delight in God. We've failed to take joy in God. We've failed to proclaim the excellencies of Christ as we ought. And this sin of ours has created a mountain of debt that must be paid. And each one of us will be dragged to court one day. And accusations of the sins that we've committed, of the sins that we've omitted, will be leveled against every one of us. And unless something is done, an eternal prison sentence is awaiting everyone. No one escapes the perfect judgment of God. And no one gets out until the last penny is paid. But there is good news. The fire of Mount Vesuvius has fallen on another. While an eruption of divine justice is deserved by all, there is one who absorbed it all. Sin debt has been paid. And for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, the very last penny has been paid. And so this day, whether for the first time or for the 5,000th time, make every effort to settle your accounts with God through Christ. Because there's only one way to do this, and that is to look to Christ and to his cross. Titus 3, verses 4 to 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so if you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, sinner, turn to Jesus today. Turn to the Lord and ask for mercy. God sent his own son to die on the cross to absorb the penalty of your sin. And when you turn to him in faith, your sins are cleansed from you. You are gifted the righteousness of Christ and you, you are made right with God. Your accounts are settled with him. If you've never done that, do that today. Before you leave this place, pray to God and ask for mercy. And before you leave, talk to a Christian, whoever invited you to church today. Talk with them. Tell them you'd like to know more about living for Jesus. Those of you who are already in Christ, here's what this means for you. You can rejoice in the truth that while you deserve to be buried under the hot ashes of God's judgment for your sin, you have been spared by the love of God in Christ. That in love God gave his son for you. That the ashes of Vesuvius fell on him instead of you. 
and that God raised him from the dead and united you to him by faith such that his life is your life. And so you get to leave this place with zero guilt. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The very last penalty, very last penny of the penalty has been paid. You don't have to go out there and do all the things to earn back God's favor, which you lost with your sin. And nor because you've been forgiven do you have to pay God back. You can live a life totally free. Happy in your God. Guilt-free, debt-free. Knowing that because of what Jesus has done for you, When your heavenly father looks on your life, he sees his son. And he is well pleased. And so yes, it is a happy Mother's Day. It is a happy everyone's day for those who are in Christ. Because Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. So go from this place, happy in your God, knowing that you've been saved and sanctified and now being sent into the world to share the joy of Jesus Christ with all. And you just get to keep doing it until that joy is shared by all. And so to that end, we pray. Father, we confess that we have belittled the glory of your Son, that we have esteemed him too small in our eyes and with our lives. We have not magnified him as we ought or as he deserves. And in this we have sinned. Please, Lord, have mercy on us. We give thanks to you for sending us Jesus and for his absorbing the wrath deserved by us on the cross. We praise you, a glorious and magnificent and so incredibly good God. Please send us from this place, confident in our God, happy in our God, rejoicing in our God, and ready to meet our friends and neighbors with joy in our God. Make Jesus big in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. What we'd like to do here at PBC is at the end of our services, having confessed our sins to him, we seek God's word for an assurance that we have been pardoned of those sins. And today's assurance of pardon comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. There we read, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins.